We'll continue our series, uh, Who's Your One? This is our last message um, in the series. So after this, we will be wrapped up, and then, uh, to be honest, I don't know where I'm going after that. So hope you're all right with that. I'll let you, I'll let you know when I, when I decide. But uh, Who's Your One? The final message, and this morning... We're going to look at bringing others to Jesus. Of course, we know that the theme throughout these messages uh, deals with us identifying one person that we would share the gospel with. So all these messages have really dealt with um, pretty much sharing the gospel with, with folks. And this one is no different, bringing others to Jesus. In just a few minutes, we will be in the gospel of John chapter 1. Uh, And we'll look at verses 40 through 42 if you want to find your way there. When we think of the disciples of Jesus, we often think of the main three, and we could probably name them right off the bat. We'd say, you know, Peter, James, and John. Even though Andrew is listed as one of the first four disciples, Andrew's not as well known as the other three. James and John, after all, were referred to by Jesus as the sons of thunder. You know, how'd you like that? Sounds like a wrestling name. And now the sons of thunder. But um, it did not take much for James and John to get ticked off. And, And if someone did not want to hear the gospel, their solution was we should call fire down from heaven and we should light them up. That's, that's why they are the sons of thunder. We all know about Peter. Peter was, was bold. He was hasty. He put his foot in his mouth consistently. He would often respond without Christ's permission. In fact, I think uh, when I think of Peter, I think I fit in with Peter more than anyone else. However, today our focus is not on Peter. Instead, it will be on someone a little more insignificant. In fact, the, the thing about Andrew is that he seems rather insignificant, considering we know so little about him. Yet he's the one who brought Peter to Jesus. And Peter would touch thousands of lives. That is the thing most of us know of people who touched thousands We know of the Billy Grahams, and we know of the D.L. Moody's, or the Charles Spurgeons, and the likes, but do we know of the one who touched them? What sometimes happens is we have this desire to see revival in our church, or we have a desire to see revival come to our town, and we'll talk about that, and that's a good thing, but I'm afraid that there are times that we have become so focused on on revival as we call it and coming up with our man-made methods that we've missed actual opportunities that are right in front of us and what i'm saying is is i wonder how often we've seen others in our life as kind of insignificant and we've just kind of passed them right on by because they're well they're they're insignificant to us And what we'll see in our passage of Scripture when we read it in a few minutes is that when Andrew got converted, the very first thing that he did was to go and find his brother. And it says that he brought him to Jesus. He didn't send him to Jesus. He didn't tell him to go to Jesus and leave it up to him. No, instead, it makes it clear that he brought 
him to Jesus. So let's look at this passage of scripture now. And so if you would please uh, make sure that you're in John chapter 1. And if you'd stand with me out of respect for the word of God. John chapter 1 verses 40 through 42. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. John chapter 1 40 through 42. It says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray. Father, may your word penetrate our hearts and our lives this morning. May you speak because your servants are listening. May this not be my words. May it be your words. Oh, Lord, that we would have a passion and a desire to bring others to Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, I read this and and I ask myself, why does Scripture emphasize the first thing that Andrew did in speaking to his brother as a priority and importance. And, and why, why does it do that? Well, because I believe it is indeed important to bring others to Jesus. It's when you come to Jesus, without exception, there are people in your life that you love, that you care about, that you know that you that you have to take this news that you have now discovered you have to take this news to them it could be a brother like andrew's case it could be a parent it could be a child it could be a spouse but there is someone in your life that you think i have to share this with them i have to i have to go and give them this truth that i know and here's the thing andrew was faithful to bring peter to jesus and i ask myself are we faithful to bring others to jesus who's your one i'm fearful that we're not content to take the gospel to the one that may seem insignificant to us at times and therefore we don't take the gospel to anyone however we miss out because we never bring anyone that's insignificant to Jesus. Everyone we everyone we bring to Jesus is significant. You realize that? We're all created in the image of God. And Christ paid the ultimate price to redeem his children. Does that sound insignificant? Every believer, I need you to hear me this morning. It is vain for us to pray for our church to grow or to pray for our church to experience revival and it is futile to comfort others and the hope thereof while we sit back in a dissipated zeal for evangelism unwilling to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ we hear about people you want to experience revival well it starts with prayer and there's some truth to that but if you are unwilling to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people you will never experience revival 
We must imitate the woman of whom it is written. She did all she could. We must work according to Solomon's precept. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And while we zealously pursue the gospel of Jesus Christ, we trust the Lord that he will bring success. But if we idly stand by and do absolutely nothing, that's exactly what we should expect in return. Nothing. This morning, we will look at the victory of the gospel in the single heart. I'm not focusing on the effort of the church as much as I'm focusing in on the effort of us as individual disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, if the church is in a healthy state, then its members are students of God's word. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the only thing they need if the church is in a healthy state over and above worship would be a word of direction that comes from the word of God that's delivered to them. They need a command from God's word and that they can go out and do that command. And so I speak to you this morning as I try to do on a weekly basis every Sunday morning as those who need to hear God's word and then obey it. Because I believe that that the majority of you are believers and so you need you gather together to be equipped because we equip the saints so you hear the word of God and then you say okay now I need to obey the word of God. Now, even though Andrew is a kind of a, he's a background guy, interestingly enough, his name translates as manly. He's not a wimp. He was bold. He was decisive. He was determined. He didn't need a platform. He just knew what he needed to do. Now, listen to me. Chances are many of you will have encounters this week with lost people. Some of you perhaps will have an encounter today. Maybe um, you'll go out to eat. Do you concern yourself with the waitress? Do you concern yourself with the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis? Do you stop and think? I wonder if they know Christ or not. I wonder if this waitress or waiter knows Christ or not. I wonder if this person that's, that's um, uh, you know, bagging my groceries or, or scanning my stuff, I wonder if they know Christ or not. Or are they just insignificant to you? Some of you will go out to eat and you'll leave a terrible tip and then try to leave a tract or act like you're all Christian. You know, you'll leave a bad tip, but you'll act like you're a Christian. Some people hate waiting tables on Sundays because they say Christians behave so poorly. There's a reason that, that I leave a, a good tip, and it's not because I'm wealthy, as many of you know. I can assure you of that. But if I can't tip good, then I shouldn't eat out, I believe. Both my wife and I know what it's like to wait on tables. We've done that in the past. And if I'm going to try to have any kind of Christian conversation or represent Christ to the person waiting on my table, you better believe that I'm going to leave a good tip. These people that help us and these people that we come in contact with every single day are not insignificant people. Some of them are supporting their family. 
My mother worked three jobs to support her family. And so this morning, I, I, I want to do a deep dive into Andrew because he's considered the first disciple of Jesus. It sounds pretty significant. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. He had probably already been baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. But John said, hey, I baptize you with, with water. He that comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll tell you how significant the one that comes after me, John said, is. I, I'm just his forerunner. He will wash away your sins. And so one day, there's Andrew. He's standing there with John the Baptist, who's his mentor. And John says in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Andrew quit following John the Baptist and started following Jesus. Homer Lindsay said this of Andrew. He said, When I think of Andrew, one word comes to mind. He was an inviter. Let me tell you why that's so significant. Did you know that 96% of the people that will ever sit in an empty seat in any church, including this one, 96% of them will come because somebody invites them. 96% an inviter. Listen, people will come to church at the invitation of a friend, at the invitation of a co-worker, an associate, a relative, they, and they may be changed forever. Andrew was not just an inviter, but he was also an introducer. Right? We like to introduce um, someone. For example, if you're, if you're talking with me and you've not met my wife and she is there, I may say, well, have you met my wife? Or if I'm with a friend, I will say this, this is my friend. Have you met him? You know, we really like to introduce people, especially if we, uh, if we know someone famous, right? If we're with friends and we're, we know a famous person, we'd be like, let me introduce you to my friend uh, who plays in the NBA or something like that, you know, because we, we act like we're important. Or this person as an actor. In fact, many of you have, have introduced uh, me to people and said, this is my pastor, Josh Maranda. Not, not that I'm famous or anything, but that's how you've introduced me. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever introduced someone to who you claim is your best friend? I mean, we claim Christ as our best friend, right? Have you ever introduced anyone to him? So, Andrew, he's an inviter, he's an introducer, and he's a bringer. He brought Peter to Jesus. And I want to challenge you this morning. Bring people to church. Kids sometimes say, well, my, my parents dragged me to church. I don't care how you get people here. Whether you drag them, whether you bring them, whether you invite them, whether you introduce them, but get people here. Listen, Andrew was a disciple who apparently lived his life in obscurity. We do not have a lot of information on Andrew. Nobody writes books on the disciple Andrew. But this morning I want us to see three ways in which Andrew saw the value in people. <coughs> three ways. And I want to apply them to us this morning in an effort to help us be a better witness of the gospel 
to other people. So first, we need to see the value of individual people. We need to see the value of individual people. <clears throat> Andrew appreciated the value of a single soul. He's the picture of what we all need to be. Now, it's remarkable that Andrew is so concerned for the soul of an individual when he just became a believer himself. However, what this reveals to us is that, in, in, that, that no matter when we come to Christ, we must immediately be ready to share Christ with others. Now, Andrew is known for bringing individuals to Christ and not crowds to Christ. In fact, we have no record of Andrew ever preaching to an assembly of people. And almost every time that we see Andrew in the gospel accounts, he's bringing a single individual to Christ. Now, you know the challenge, the challenge I gave you a few weeks ago. It's based on one, and it was invite, invest, introduce. It was, I'm going to invite someone over for a meal, and we're going to eat a meal, and during that meal, you're just going to tell your story or have someone in your family tell their story of how they came to know Christ as their Savior. Or you're going to invite someone to go out with you, and you're going to, you're going to pay for it, and you're going to tell them your story, because if you know Christ, you have a story, and you have a story of your life before Christ, and how you met Christ, and how your life is now, and then you're going to invite one person to come to church. Now let's face it. The bottom line is, and the odds are, many of you have never invited anybody to Jesus. You've never played the insignificant role of doing something significant by bringing someone to Christ. Andrew was driven by a passion for the truth. He was willing to subject himself to extreme hardships and God used him. Here's a man that hears the call of God in his life and he makes a difference and brings Peter to Jesus. Look at me. Well, I, uh, I'm just one person. But old Andrew, he brought just one to Jesus. And he was referred to as the first home missionary because he brought one to Christ. Now, if we were going to read John 12, 20, the Bible says that there were some Greeks that came to Philip and they said, we want to, we want to see Jesus. But you know what Philip did? He didn't bring them to Jesus. He went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip bring them to Jesus. And so Andrew was the first home missionary and he's the first foreign missionary because he brought Greeks to the Jewish Savior. Most people don't come to Christ because they heard a sermon in a crowded setting. They come to Christ because of the influence of an individual that's in their life. Andrew saw the value of an individual in Peter and he brought him to Christ. And Peter brought thousands to Christ. All the fruit of Peter's ministry is ultimately also the fruit of Andrew's faithful individual witness. Can you imagine in heaven someone says, hey, look, there's Simon Peter. We say, oh, man, sure, we sure know a lot about old Simon Peter, the suffering from Peter. He talked about persecution in First and Second Peter. He spoke of the day of the Lord. He was so bold. Peter was such a bold witness i would like to meet peter listen i know all the glory goes to god but can you imagine you walk up to peter in heaven and and say hey hey i want to i want to meet you peter you helped me so much and peter says i i know i helped you but let me introduce you to andrew and here comes 
timid behind the scenes Andrew, the one who lived a life of obscurity, the one who touched one at a time. And Peter said there would have been no sermon at Pentecost. There would have been no writing of first or second Peter. There would have been no boldness for Christ if it hadn't been for my brother Andrew who saw the significance of one individual. Most of you will never stand on a stage and preach the gospel to a group of people. Most of you are just average disciples like Andrew. We're just ordinary common believers with nothing remarkable about us. Listen, the faith of a follower of Christ does not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. If the church were to blot out all of the minor stars that we call them, We would live in a dark, dark world. Listen, every professor of faith in Christ is bound, bound to extend his kingdom. Oh, that every member of the church would be an Andrew seeing the value of individual people. Listen, Satan has done a number on us, church. You know how so? No one in here feels that if they led their neighbor to Christ, they would be the next Billy Graham. But they could be. But nobody feels that way. And God would get the glory. God can do significant things in the life of those of of the one who seems very insignificant. Few have heard of Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher who led D.L. Moody to Christ. Edward went to a Boston shoe store where the 18-year-old Moody was working, cornered him in the stock room, and introduced him to Christ. Kimball was anything but bold. He was timid. He was soft-spoken. He went to that shoe store frightened and trembling and unaware of whether he had the courage to confront this young man with the gospel. Moody, on the other hand, was crude, obviously illiterate, and Kimball trembled in his boots as he recalled the incident. Moody had begun to attend his Sunday school class. Moody was totally untaught. He was ignorant about the Bible. Kimball said, I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton's shoe store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go just then during the business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy. That when I went away, The other clerks might ask who I was. And when they learned, they might taunt Moody and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. And while I was pondering over it, I passed the store without even noticing it. And then when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over all at once. Kimball found Moody in the stockroom and he spoke to him with limping words. Later he said, I never could remember what I even said. Something about Christ and his love. That's all I could remember. And Kimball said, it was a weak appeal. That's what he said about him sharing the gospel with D.L. Moody. It was a weak appeal. I don't even remember what I said. But Moody then and there gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And tens of thousands have testified that they came to Christ under D.L. Moody's ministry. Moody led C.T. Studd, the great pioneer missionary, and William Chapman, who himself became a well-known evangelist to Christ. Moody founded the Moody Bible Institute that has trained thousands for ministry. It all began when one was faithful to introduce one other person 
to Christ. Oh God, help us to, to love the gospel. But we must be careful because we're going to find ourselves waiting until we have it all down perfect. And, well, okay, I, I need to know this. I need to know how to say this. And I need to, I need to know the four spiritual laws. Or I need to know this, this, and this. And I need to know the Romans road. And i got to have all this memorized. i got to have it down perfect. And while we're waiting to have it down perfect, people are dying and going to hell. Just tell them what you know. I know this for a fact. The world will not hear the gospel and get unless God's people are faithful and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God did not choose to use a loudspeaker or angels. He didn't write the gospel in the clouds. He could do all that. But you know what he did? He raised us up. He filled you and I with the Holy Spirit. And he gave us the word of God. And he gave us marching orders. And then he sent us out. We are God's plan. You're God's plan. And I'm God's plan. To get the gospel out. Who's your one? Satan has done. He's worked us over. If you thought the next person you shared the gospel with was going to be D.L. Moody, you would go and do it. There would be little that would keep you from it. You couldn't get there fast enough. Because you'd be so excited of what God was going to do. If the Lord revealed to you right here where you're sitting, hey, the next person that you share the gospel with is going to lead thousands upon thousands of people to Christ, you'd probably get up out of the service and go share the gospel. Because you know that to be true. But instead, Satan has duped us. Instead of being in amazement about what God might do with the next person that gets saved, you know what we do? We sit and we worry. Oh, well, what if they ask a question that I don't have the answer to? What a load. Why do we believe that lie? You know how to be born again. If you're saved, you know how to do it. So just share it. Listen, God is not dependent on you, but we are dependent on him. And we need to see the value of individual people. Okay, I have to hurry before I run out of time. The one, the value of individual people. Number two, we need to see the value of insignificant gifts. The value of insignificant gifts. Some people can see the big picture more clearly because they appreciate the value of small gifts. Now in John chapter 6, Philip's vision is overwhelmed by the size of the need. The Lord looks out at the crowd and testing Philip, he says to him, Where are we going to buy bread to, the, to feed these people so that they can have something to eat? And Philip is like, well, 200 denarii worth of bread would not even be enough for each of them to have just a little bit. One denarii was a day's wages. And so Philip is saying 200 days wages wouldn't even be enough for them to have a little bit. Guess who's there? Well, Andrew, because he's a disciple of Jesus. 
And Andrew finds his boy. And he brings him to Jesus. He's like, uh, hey, Jesus, this, this boy's got five pieces of bread and two fish. Right? Now, so that we understand, these barley loaves, they're like small little pieces of bread. And these two fish, they're like sardines. And Andrew even poses the question, right? What is so little among so many? Can I just assure you that little is much when it's in God's hands? Some of, the, some of you here, the, the reason you don't give is because you're in a tough time and perhaps it seems insignificant. But let me be clear. Insignificant gifts are used to do significant things in God's hands. And God gets the glory. Maybe you heard about this preacher. He was a new preacher and he had a, a man in his congregation that always gave him a hard time about his sermons. And he was up preaching one time and he got excited, you know, kind of like I get excited. And, and when you get excited, if you're like me, sometimes your, your words, they all run together or you say things uh, uh, because your mouth is running faster than your, than your brain can keep up. That happens to me often. I just blah, 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 and my brain, brain's like, whoa, slow down. And anyway, he got excited and he was all fired up and he said, I want to tell you something. Jesus took 5,000 loaves of bread and 2,000 fish and fed five people. And an old man in the service said, well, that sure was great. I could do that. And the young preacher got all flabbergasted. He couldn't finish his sermon. He just threw his hands up and dismissed them. And he thought, wait until next week. I will show them I'm going to preach the same text and I will say it right next week. And so the next week he got in the pulpit and he said, Jesus took five loaves and two fish and he fed 5,000 people. And he didn't hear a word. And he said, how about that? And that old man said, big deal, I could do that. And the preacher said, how? And he said, with what you had left over from last week. <laughs> Listen, there was something that was in Andrew that seemed to understand that no gift was insignificant in the hands of Jesus. So little was used to accomplish so much. And this was the testimony of the power and glory of God. There's no gift that's insignificant in his hands. Some of you here today think I can never go and witness to my neighbor. I can never go and share the gospel with my coworker or whoever it might be. Listen to me, friend. God can take your weakness and he can make it your strength. Just acknowledge your weakness before him and he will take your insignificant ability and use it to accomplish the extraordinary. In Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, but in all she had to live on. God's ability to use a gift is not hindered or enhanced by the size of the gift. 
It is the sacrificial faithfulness of the giver of that gift that is the measure of the gift's significance. It's not the greatness of the gift, but it's the greatness of God to whom that gift is given. God takes the sacrificial and often seemingly insignificant gifts of those who faithfully give them to him. And he multiplies them to accomplish monumental things. Our aim is to bring people to Jesus and to use any gift that we have to do so. So who's your one? Who is your one? Lastly. We need to see the value of inconspicuous service. We need to see the value of inconspicuous service. Andrew is a picture of all those who labor quietly in humble places. Ephesians 6.6 tells us this. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God. From the heart. Andrew's ministry was one of support. Andrew did not mind being hidden. He didn't mind not being in the spotlight as long as the work of God was being done and God's kingdom was advancing. Andrew was truly a leader with a servant's heart. Andrew never preached to multitudes and he never founded a church. Andrew used the ability that he had among those who were accessible to him. Andrew just used what he had. But so often we come up with excuse after excuse to not use what we have. Well, it may be, well, this isn't out in the open or or people aren't going to see us or it's not going to draw enough attention to our ego-loving self. And when we sit around and decide that we will do nothing, we become an impediment to the church instead of a help to the church. Don't think for an instant, not one instant, I don't care your age, don't think for an instant that if you know Christ, you are in a position to offer nothing, because you're not. So how do you know that? Because that would be a mistake that the providence of God does not commit. So I say, see the value of inconspicuous service. See that it's okay to work behind the scenes and bring people to Jesus. It's okay to do things that maybe no one else wants to do. Andrew's proof of this. He went to one man. He started with one. Who's your one? He valued one soul and one soul one to Jesus, all kinds of people. And one soul that comes to Jesus puts heaven into a frenzy party. One sinner that, re- that repents makes angels rejoice. What if you spend a lifetime laboring and praying and pleading for the conversion of that one child? If that child trusts Christ, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. If you spend your entire life witnessing to other people and only one person came to Christ, it was worth it. It was worth it. 
if in 50 years I retire from as a pastor here, that's a joke. I won't be around in 50, but let's say, you know, however long I retire. Praise God that at least one person came to know Christ when I was a pastor here. And if only one, then it was worth it. If only one, then it was worth packing my family up and moving here. If only one, it was worth any heartache, any suffering, any pain, any problems, any trials. It was worth it if only one came to Christ. Do not be discouraged, friends, because you don't have a large audience. Don't be discouraged if people reject the gospel. Because every single rejection is worth it when that one trusts Christ. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What loss would it be if you lost the world but gained your soul? God made you useful to gain the souls of others. Start working. Get to work where God has placed you. Start to labor for the souls of others right now. Now before I close, some might say, well, how did Andrew persuade Peter to come to Christ? Because maybe there's something in there that, that's going to help us be a better witness. Well, first he talked about his own personal experience, right? He said to him, we have found the Messiah. So tell others what you have experienced about Christ. Tell them, this is, this is my experience with Christ as my Savior. Focus on Jesus. He then explains what he had found. He didn't say, I found someone impressive, or I found a nice guy. Andrew knew who he was. He said, the Messiah. So be clear in your knowledge of the gospel and your experience of it. And then tell the good news to the person. Tell them all about Jesus and how great Jesus is and how wonderful Jesus is. And share with them what Christ has done, what the gospel clearly lays out for us. Andrew had conviction. He did not say, oh, I hope I have found the Messiah. Right? He didn't say that. He says, I have found him he was sure of what he's saying be sure of your own salvation there is no weapon like the assurance of your salvation if you speak doubtingly then how are you going to convince someone else of the positive experience that you have and of assurance andrew gave the good news to peter without doubt may we communicate our belief our enjoyments, and our assurance to others with the assurance of the truth we speak without doubting and trust in God for the blessing. Who's your one? Now let me close with this. You know, often people wonder how it all ended for Andrew. 
Let me just tell you from the early church fathers and tradition how it all ended. It's believed that Andrew carried the gospel to Russia. Some say he may have gone so far as Scotland, but he was one day witnessing to a provincial Roman leader's wife. And she came to faith in Christ and was radically saved, is the testimony. And her husband was infuriated. And as she had trusted in the Christian faith, he demanded that she denounce Jesus, to which she would not. And so he said, well, if you won't denounce it, he won't tell anyone else. And so he ordered Andrew crucified. They crucified him on a cross that was an X. And he said, I want him to suffer. Don't nail him. Lash him to the cross. And tradition has it that he lasted two days before he perished. And they say that all that came by with his last breaths, he was pleading with individuals to turn from their sins and give their life to Jesus. Wow. Do you see what God can do with one life that is seemingly insignificant? That sees the significant value in one soul? There's an old song by Charles Luther called Must I Go and Empty-Handed? It goes like this, Must I go and empty-handed? Thus my dear Redeemer meet. Not one day of service give him. Lay no trophy at his feet. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? Not at death I shrink or falter, for my Savior saves me, saves me now. But to meet him empty-handed... Thought of that now clouds my brow. Oh, the years in sinning wasted, could I but recall them now? I would give them to my Savior. To his will I'd gladly bow. Oh, ye saints, arouse, be earnest. Up and work while yet tis day. Ere the night of death o'ertake thee. Strive for souls while you still May. Church, one day this life will be over. It will end. Will there be anyone that came to heaven because of your witness? Or will you be empty handed? You see, it's one thing if you tried and they would not come. But to not even try? Who is it that you're not willing to introduce to Jesus? The one that you claim to be your best friend. The one that we sing, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. No one satisfies my soul like him. Really? We're just not willing to share him? Would you go through your entire life and never tell anyone about Jesus? What about your coworkers? Do they know Jesus? We must do all that we can to make sure everyone within our circle of influence hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, some of the most recent studies say 98% of us, 
98% have never even invited an unchurched, unsaved person to come to church. Now, I'm not saying that's true of our church. I don't know. I'm just saying that this is the most recent statistics. They say only 20%, 20% of us will even invite another Christian. So what that means is that, is that we meet someone that just moved in and we know they go to a Baptist church. And so we say, hey, uh, I go to a Baptist church. You, you want go to go to my church? Only one out of five of us would even do that. But 98% won't invite an unchurched, unsafe person. God, help us to take our faith more seriously. Lord, help us to see others come to faith in Christ. Oh, that you and I would be a witness that we would bring others to Jesus, even those ones that you seem or seem to you insignificant. Let's close a prayer.